This week on the Divided Opinion Podcast. So I'm glad you had a good day, mate, and I'm glad you rested up and ready for the podcast today because we've got a lot to talk about. It just shows the job David Moyes has done, like how, how how far he's brought that team, but not only the team, the club on as well. They were a mess on and off the pitch before he came in. I genuinely thought it was arguably the best defensive performance we've seen this season. But they always remained a threat and that's what kept them in the game and that's what made it so City weren't able to fully commit. Why are more teams not man-marking him? Why are more teams not playing a left winger to literally stick on Trent Alexander-Arnold? Because the amount of space he gets, this is why he plays fullback. Hello and welcome back to Season 3, Episode 2 of the Divided Opinion Podcast. My name is Joel and as always, Westy joins me. How are we, Westy? Yeah, mate, feeling a lot better today. Um, yeah, day, day at the race is on Wednesday. Yeah. So feeling a bit worse wear, but I feel Look. like I've recovered in time for the podcast. Yeah. Whether it's a day later yeah. than usual, but... Some things have yeah, got to no, be done. Yeah, good. How was the races? I heard you were you were living it up with Alan Brazil and Ray Parler. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Talk sport heroes. Um, <laughs> yeah, two obviously two characters. I think everyone knows. But um, nah, it was a really good day. Um, no money won as expected, but a money, a money lost. A small amount. I mean, yeah, I'm not that sort of. I'm not a big gambler myself. No, no, right. Well, yeah, no, I'm glad you had a good day, mate, and I'm glad you rested up and ready for the podcast today, because we've got a lot to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we said last week that it's not going to be a, a, a weekly thing, this. It's going to be uh, when we've got enough to talk about, we'll come back and do an episode, and we've definitely got enough to talk about today. Uh, just to give you a, an idea of what we're going to go through today, we're going to talk about the England selection. Obviously, you probably cover a little bit about the under-21s. We're going to give you the latest on Erling Haaland. We're going to d- briefly discuss the Liverpool and Arsenal game, uh, talk about it from both perspectives, both teams. Liverpool obviously now one point away from Manchester City. Arsenal, kind of kind of a, a bit of a, a sobering result for them. We're going to also talk about Manchester United crashing out of Europe, which I'm sure you're really looking forward to talking about, Westy. <laughs> We're going to also talk about Chelsea again, because there's an, a whole new load things to talk about with them and it doesn't seem to be stopping the kind of the the, I don't even know how you describe it the debacle going on at Chelsea at the minute it's there's a lot of uncertainty and hopefully today we're gonna try and provide a little bit of bit of bit of clarity for you guys and and just to discuss everything put it all out on the table and see where where they're gonna go from here should we get into it West yeah let's go nice one right I think we'll start with last night, to be fair. Um, the results last night. I mean, Everton, a huge result for them. It will be, I think it came in the 99th minute. Yeah. After we saw a 14-minute add-on for uh, uh, 
uh, an activist came onto the pitch and zip tied themselves to a goalpost. I mean, I've never seen anything quite like it. I don't know about you, Wes. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, to be honest. Uh, was that, how long was it? Was he? Well, how it was long a was 14 he? minute add on. So I imagine 10, 10 or so yeah. minutes was that. Yeah. Was it, were the, um, were they, were like the, the gardening tools trying to, <laughs> the pliers trying to get him off? The pliers, those huge metal pliers. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, you just could see that it wasn't going to work at first. The, and the guy, they were just yanking it, weren't they? <laughs> that guy was, he was just so content, wasn't he? I mean, Everton fans came on and started like attacking him, didn't they? But apparently, some fan in the crowd gave it a knife or something to yeah, one of the t- stewards to help them cut it or something. <laughs> Two wrongs don't it's make just, a right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, it's just Everton at the moment. I think when, once you're in a period like that where it's just you're, you're in a bit of a mad period on and off the field, mad things just happen. And I think he was argue, I think he was um, kind of arguing against oil or I think there's some new thing that the government have, have started doing or, or something I'm not sure if it's got anything to do with Russia because I know Everton had a, a kind of a large sponsorship was one of the oligarchs who got sanctioned wasn't it mm. so I don't know if it's anything to do with that anyway hopefully, we'll hopefully it was uh, protesting about the, the recent fuel prices yeah, <laughs> maybe the gas prices as well. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, we'll get onto the onto the footballing aspect. Everton. I mean, it was a scrappy scrappy game. Uh, I think, as you can imagine, I think a game that wasn't really was quite lacking in in com in in confidence in in quality. But Everton got the win. How big is this now for for Frank Lampard, and how big is it for him to to seize this winning? feeling I suppose this yeah. feeling that's kind of been alien to them of late how important is it to for him to to build from this um yeah it's really important I mean you'd have probably maybe four or five months ago at the start of the season you'd have as, as an Everton fan or someone you'd have probably looked at Newcastle on one of the fixture lists and thought if we are in a bad spell then I mean that's a perfect um game or opportunity to sort of get a result in but obviously now going into it I don't think there was many sort of Everton fans out there that held much hope obviously the way Newcastle have been playing but no it's a massive win especially like like you say given the form that Newcastle are in and the momentum they had I I fully expected them to go in there and probably pick up the win I think but, everyone did yeah I think it's just it does happen doesn't it when you're on a bit of a, a winning spell and you kind of get brought back down to earth a bit. And I think that's what happened to Newcastle last night. I mean, they're obviously in a position now where it's... I mean, they're obviously still... You you can't count relegation out. I mean, they've still got a little bit of work to do, but you'd, you'd favour them to stay up now, definitely. And I think once that feeling kind of sets in, yeah. there isn't much else to fight for, is there? They're at Newcastle this season. It's kind of getting to the end of the season. I suppose you'd argue that the players there have got they're fighting for their places, aren't they, ahead of the a summer window? Uh, also, last night, obviously, there was a few European games. Leicester, obviously, progressing to the quarterfinals of the Conference League. Huge result for Leicester against a really solid Wren side in a in a cauldron um, of an atmosphere uh, at Wren. And a lot of people I've seen that were there were saying it's some of the be- the best atmosphere, one of the best atmospheres they've seen. Obviously, going one 0 down early on, um, and then kind of came back into the game later into the sec- into the first half, and then obviously Wesley Fafana on his return from injury, scoring a header, a brilliant header at that, and I mean it was so refreshing as a Leicester fan to be on the right end of a corner uh, for a change, and I mean I was worried at the start because I think I don't think that was part of the plan. 
And I mean, well, I'm certain it wasn't. Siunchu, I'm sure, was planned to start. And maybe Fafana come on late into the second half, get a few minutes. But he was chucked in. Siunchu got ill. Played alongside of Martin. And you could see already what he brings to this team. And just makes you wonder, really, where, where, would, we, where would we have been if we'd had Fafana this season? Yeah. You see the presence he's got for a 21-year-old centre-back. It's quite remarkable, to be honest. And he's going to be the, the most senior player back there now. And it seems crazy to say because he's probably the youngest player out of everyone. And yeah, I think it's huge for him to come back. Obviously, we've seen Europa League. Uh, Rangers have obviously progressed. Barcelona have progressed. And obviously, massive for West Ham as well. 2-0 on the night. 2-1 on aggregate. Winning in extra time uh, thanks to a Yarmolenko goal, which was a really nice moment as well. I know he scored the winner um, at the weekend. As I can't remember who it was again. But it's good for West Ham, isn't it? I bet they're really enjoying this. And yeah. I think, they, I think they deserve it, the West Ham fans. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the amount of years and sort of said two years ago when they were sort of scrapping for relegation with a few games to go, I bet if you said to West Ham fans, this is what you're going to be doing, knocking Sevilla, I mean, six-time Europa League champions out in the court, yeah. out in the round of 16 then I think they'd have probably just probably laughed at you and said no chance. I mean, it's just it's just shows the job David Moyes has done, like how 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 far he's brought that team, but not only the team, the club on as well. I mean, they were a mess on and off the pitch before he came in, and I think most West Ham fans would agree when they probably said when Pellegrini went and Moyes came back in for the second spell. I think most of them were pretty sort of disheartened by the decision, weren't they? I mean, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't a glamorous decision, but what a job he's done and obviously last night getting into quarterfinals there's obviously some big teams still left in there but mm. if they can win the Europa League and obviously get into the Champions League through that way then mm. it would be it'd be massive yeah I mean you talk about Sevilla I mean they're like the Real Madrid of the Europa League aren't they at this point they're, mm. they're so kind of used to the to the tournament and what, what it what it takes to win it Obviously, their former manager at Unai Emery, I think, was he? Did he, he win three of their the, their Europa leagues? Um, yeah. He's definitely there for a few of them, and he's obviously progressed to the quarterfinals of the of the Champions League now after winning the Europa League last year. We'll move on. Actually, we'll we'll come back to your, um, the Champions League um, briefly later in the show. I want to talk about England now. Obviously, there's a few obvious. Um, decisions Southgate's made that have come under some scrutiny we'll talk about the maybe the positive aspects of it Crystal Palace's Mark Quay he receives his first call up obviously he was on well he came from Chelsea at the start of the season he was on loan at Swansea City beforehand he's looked really impressive hasn't he this season and, and fully deserved of this call up yeah definitely yeah um, he's had a great season at Palace I think I mean the, the 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 partnership he's came up with with Anderson as well. They've got a really really solid foundation there at the back of Crystal Palace, and obviously you've got Joel Ward and Tyreek Mitchell. I think even Tyreek Mitchell was probably yeah. quite unfortunate to not get a call up, but I'm sure one won't be too far away if he carries on playing the way he is. But yeah, it's refreshing, and it must be great for Palace fans as well to, to see two Palace lads in. In the squad, yeah. I mean, Conor Gallagher as well definitely deserved again. He's had a great season, but yeah, Gay has been brilliant and fully, fully deserved of his call up. Yeah, and that Palace performance against City on Monday. I mean, I put in a post on like a, my match report of the game, and I genuinely thought it was 
arguably the best defensive performance we've seen this season. I mean, in terms of the commitment, I mean, you obviously, you see these performances where his back's against the wall and his team employing a low block, but they they often make a mistake near the end of the game. Um, Man City, the way they probe and they, they're so persistent in their build-up that it does, it comes to a point where a team's obviously, they lose their concentration, City find their opportunity to, City find their opportunity to pounce and they they, they never came uh, on, on Monday. And obviously Mark Gway, he's been a huge part of that. And you spoke about Anderson there. I think they both came in at the start of the, of the season and obviously have been a huge part of uh, Patrick Vieira and what he's done there. He's so impressive what Patrick yeah. Vieira's done. And it was a unique performance, that Palace performance, because... They, although they did, they kind of employed like a, I don't know if you'd call it a low block, maybe a mid block. And yeah, Conor Gallagher was huge to it as well. But they always remained a threat and that's what kept them in the game. And that's what made it so City weren't able to fully commit and fully go after Crystal Palace. Because they always had that. They always had to be wary of the threat that was on the break. And yeah, Gallagher's huge to that. I've been so impressed with Gallagher in terms of the way that he can play this hybrid role. Um, he is like an old-fashioned centre midfielder, but he's so good at playing in the defensive role. We can drop in and he can cover space and players like a, a six slash eight. And then as soon as Palace get on the attack, he's the first one there and he's the one triggering attacks and his progressive running. He's just so impressive and he can press as well. He can do everything. And in terms of the playing that hybrid role in midfield, I don't think there's many better than him. And that is definitely what he offers different to this to this England side we'll talk about obviously uh, you can air some of your grievances now Sancho and Rashford not in the side Carl Walker as well Carl Walker's been explained as a he will be coming back um, later in the year but he wants to give some other players a chance and wants to give his other right backs a run out which is understandable yeah. Sancho and Rashford he's explained that that's not the case with this Rashford we all know it's been well documented the the dip in form he's had, uh, the dip in playing time as well. Sub- subsequently, Jane and Sancho is more of a surprise though. Uh, am I yeah. right in saying? Um, do you want to? Yeah. What are your thoughts on this one? Uh, yeah, obviously, definitely should have been in the squad. I think most people agree. I mean, yeah, the slow start to life at United, but I think everyone can see whether you're a United fan or not. Over the past six to eight weeks, maybe a bit longer, he's really come on leaps and bounds and he's been one of the shining lights in a pretty dark season for United especially in 2022 but um, I just thought his, his explanation was really really strange how he was saying he obviously there's a lot of competition there which is absolutely fine That we all know that the the, the, the depth and talent that England have got in the forward line but it's, it, I just didn't stand the way he said he feels a few the other guys are ahead of him at the moment in his performances I mean I, I don't know where he go, where he go for that I mean definitely people like Bukayo Saka deserve a call up but yeah, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say Sterling's in in sort of red hot form at City is he recently but I think it, but then but then it comes to I think when you look at Sterling I mean obviously there's there's some controversy around Maguire getting called up but I, I understand why he got called up he's he's, he's played well for England yeah. and I think that's the case with Sterling I think that's why Sterling demands mm. his spot I mean he was Jack- arguably our best player at the at the uh, Euros in the summer uh, Jack Grealish, yeah, I think. It, I mean, if you look, obviously, when it's when a player drops out, it's always you kind of your first instinct is to just look and see who has been brought in in replacement for them. I suppose you'd argue that Sancho's closest replacements would be either Grealish or Emil Smith Rowe, 
uh, greenish, arguably left wing. Um, yeah. I, I imagine it was between those two. I don't know if that's a case of greenish has done better in an England shirt. Uh, we've seen Southgate definitely has got some bias. He has got uh, the players that he likes. He's got his favourites. I just, just, it's a tough one, isn't it? But hmm. I think the thing with with it is, is Sancho has been on a on an incline. Like he has improved. So that's why it seems a bit strange. It's not like he's been going downhill. Hmm. He, he's going upwards at the minute. Yeah. And you'd think. And bar, just think with bar one yeah. performance in the Manchester derby, Jack Grealish is been pretty non-existent I think most of the season for Manchester City yeah you know it is when like, you look at it it is strange and you just is. wonder whether it's a, a a profile thing but then it, actually mm. if you look there's more players similar to Jack Grealish in this team than there are to Jadon Sancho I mean Emil Smith Roman Grealish are the ones that we draw comparisons to but they're still very different players Sterling's yeah. maybe the player you'd liken to Sancho the most yeah yeah possibly I just thought I just thought it was strange I mean Obviously, I'm sure Jane Sancho's got a big future in England while well, playing for England. Um, so I just think it would have it would have done his confidence a world of good coming back into the squad and knowing that mm. his performances have been sort of appreciated by not only his Man United fans and his peers but also Gareth Southgate. But I just think it would give him a knock him back a little bit. I suppose you'd argue as well that someone like Grealish has been made to feel like he is part of the fold at England and he's been given the opportunities, whereas Sancho has always seemed to be on the on the outskirts of the team and the and the starting lineup. And you'd argue that maybe in terms of a, a morale and a, a squad, like a player management and a man management aspect, Sancho would have benefited more from being in the side than Grealish. I think if you look at Grealish, he... I don't know, he's, he's had his opportunities, hasn't he? And if that's the case, if we're trying to look at players and see what they can do in an England shirt, I think we've barely seen Sancho really given a full opportunity and a full run in the team. I mean, at the Euros, he, he never no. really started, did he? I mean, he barely played anything, really. Yeah, I mean, he barely, like, you'd wonder, if you really want to see a play, it just doesn't add up, really, does it? When you're saying that about the walkers and why... Like, and Sancho, like Rashford, there's really no argument for him not being in the side, but... Yeah, it is strange. Yeah. I agree with the Man. Sancho decision. Yeah, it's yeah, it's very strange. Obviously, um, Aaron Ramsdale in the squad again. It'll be interesting to see who, what his position is now as England keeper. I mean, obviously Jordan mm-hmm. Pickford's so reliable for, and whether you whether his performances for Everton are, are good or not, you can't like you say people like Maguire, and people like Mason Mount. These players that might be of. Obviously, not Mason Mount, but especially Maguire. People like him, Luke Shaw, Sterling. Who, yeah, Luke Shaw, Sterling, who have, have endured difficult campaigns. But you can't really question why they they get their call up. Mm. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where Ramsdale stands now because obviously his former Arsenal has been fantastic. I think something like yeah. fifteen clean sheets in the Premier League. So and and also Pickford got dropped yesterday. Begovic started ahead of him. They got a clean yeah. sheet. So he's out of the Everton squad now for the time being. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see how that materialises. But as we said, Southgate has got his favourites. He really has. Mm. And I mean, you can understand it. Like These are the players that have got... If you look at the last two tournaments, we've got to a final and a semi-final. So you can... I can understand why he's got these loyalties to these players. I mean, I'd, lo- I'd love to talk about this all day, and we could. Um, I suppose we can actually move on now. Um, we'll talk about the England under-21 squad. Because I was really impressed with this team. Um, let me just read out a few names. And 
obviously I've got a very kind of a, a Premier League centric view on on these players. So let me know if I've missed a few out that are that are also impressive. I'm sure there's a few Championship talent here. Um, obviously, if we go through the squad, I mean, I don't recognise any of the keepers, but go through the defence. Got Livermento from Southampton, been really impressive this season. Tariq Lamptey has also been. Ben Johnson from West Ham. Jed Spence, Nottingham Forest, is is really um, impressing a lot of people. I think he was attracting attention of of Bayern Munich. Uh, I saw last week. Luke Thomas done brilliant, brilliantly. Leicester going to the midfield. Got Harvey Elliott. Obviously, James Garner's also been doing brilliantly in the Championship. Curtis Jones of Liverpool, Jacob Ramsey. And then we go into the attack. You've got Angel Gomez. Anthony Gordon has also been doing excellently. Uh, Madueke, I think, of PSV, am I right in saying? Yeah. I mean, there'll be players here that I've missed out as well, but the, this looks like a really strong team. And it's really refreshing to see because I always thought with the under-21s, we used it wrongly back in the day. And it always used to be like feel like... We rushed players into the first team and we kind of disregarded what the under-21s could be used at and how you could develop players and get them to understand the England way and the way Southgate wants to use it. And I know Southgate has worked within the youth teams at England. Um, so he obviously he knows it, he knows how important it is. I just wondered if you got any thoughts on that. I think it's really refreshing to see and yeah. we seem to be going in the right way with, with the uh, the under-21s. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at the some of the names you've just read out there and a lot of these players are week in, week out playing in the Premier League, uh, a couple of them playing abroad in, in other top European leagues. And I think what you mentioned there about how it's not been used correctly, I think definitely because over what the last five or six years with, through, with AD Boothroyd, I mean, the amount of expectation, especially the under-21s had on them going into these tournaments, the Euros and stuff, the World Cups, and obviously, we've always failed somehow. It's been one of the biggest myths, I think, if you're if you're English and you're an England fan, and mm. you pay any sort of attention to the under twenty ones. You've over the last few years, I mean, going back through, say, a couple of years ago in the Euros, when we had the likes of Abraham and Aaron Wambasaka and all them, all that talent in there. Mason Mount played for them as well, and Marcus Rashford back in the. And we've just always, always been something instilled in the under 21s and like you say it's definitely a, a mentality thing there where they were sort of it's they're getting so much at such a young age especially if that mm. if, you, if you're playing for a Premier League club on 40 50,000 pounds a week and you've got your hopes and your eyes set on the Wembley and the big lights and playing for England and getting a cap and you say and they come and say no you've got to go and play in the 21s a lot of I feel like a lot of players might overlook it and see it as sort of a sort of wasting their time almost and I think that's where England have got to work really hard at changing that and like you yeah. say keeping these players making it harder I'd say to to get an actual England call up because some people you have mm. to fast track if they're doing so well but yeah. like Jacob Ramsey for example is in that squad a lot of people could have given him a shout for a senior call up and if he had got one it wouldn't have been you wouldn't have been able to argue it but it's no, good no. that Southgate's keeping them in there and giving them that, that experience of wanting more. I think it's it's kind of using it as like a similar to our football team, like a club side does, yeah. using it like a, a youth team. And and you don't rush these players through, do you, at club level? You see no. it all the time where you see fans, they really want to see a player play for the first team. I mean, we've got it at the minute at Leicester with this Will Alves. He looks absolutely brilliant, but... We're gonna. I had to get him in there. I had to start, I'm starting the Will Alves agenda. Give him some time. Give him some time. He came on against Watford in the FA Cup. Looked really impressive. 
but yeah, no, I'm going to start the Will Alves agenda now. I'm going to mm. get put it in in audio now. So remember the name Will Alves. Honestly, if you if you don't know, get to know. But anyway, yeah, I think it's this is how we need to use the the England under twenty ones, and it's yeah, I think. It's so easy as well to get caught up in all the fairy tale of it and go, oh yeah, let's give this, give, give Ramsey his call up or give Lamptey his call up. But I think it is so important, like you said, to kind of make it a, a slow burning thing and a gradual thing and something to work towards. Um, I think we've learned a lot with football that this kind of giving everything, giving someone everything early is not a good thing. And I think it's something that we need to kind of train out of the game and make it more of a slow thing. Um, more of a gradual thing. Definitely. We'll move on now uh, to... We'll talk about the Liverpool-Arsenal game. Obviously, yeah, it was kind of a... It was a, a coming-of-age story, wasn't it, this whole Arsenal season? They're still yet to have that kind of scalp, that, the, the big side, beat one of the big teams. We'll talk about Liverpool first. Obviously, Klopp favoured... I mean, this was a shout from me. I I, I kind of raised the issue. Maybe he'd, he'd rest Salah and trust Jota and Diaz and, and hopefully it could end up being a positive uh, for yeah. Klopp and Liverpool. He did end up doing that. Uh, Jota, Jota and Diaz started over Salah and... Well, the rested Salah and then the out of favour, Roberto Firmino. Obviously, Jota scoring the goal just before he came off. I suppose the question I want to ask really is that with all this stuff going, the kind of the, the contract talks with, with Salah and it seems to be getting uh, drawn out and it looks difficult to get over the line. I think Liverpool will in the end, but it's not going to be easy for them and they're going to have to kind of compromise their their usual approach. Mm. Do you think Diaz and Jota are, are capable of taking over the mount, taking over the mantle of of the Mane and Salas? And um, are yeah. they that those players to lead Liverpool in the future? Um, I mean, they've definitely got the, the the ceiling and potential. I think they're both obviously Jota, especially. I think he's only what twenty three and Diaz twenty five. They've got a lot of years ahead of them. And Jota's only twenty three. Yeah, really. Mm. I think Jesus. so, yeah. Twenty three or twenty four at a push, but yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. They've got obviously insane potential, great ability, and there is definitely obviously Salah. How how old Salah? We're talking twenty nine. Twenty nine, yeah. So like he's coming into he's not not the twilight years of his career, but he's certainly fully in his peak now. And Liverpool won't be able yeah. to rely on him forever, um, especially the sort of player he is, the player that rely so much on his explosiveness his sort of agility and that sort of all their attributes that make him such a great player but yeah they definitely have the potential to sort of fill that void especially hit every now and then like you saw on Wednesday when Salah needs resting or he's injured or whatever but I think for the long term it, it'd be really really difficult and it'd be a lot of a lot of pressure to put on on their shoulders mm. because yeah Mohammed's, it was quite yeah it's a hard yeah. question to answer it's a hard question it's, yeah. it's a hypothetical um, one but I think though they have been really impressive and I think it's just it's such a weapon now for Klopp to be able to to bring Jota and Diaz off the bench I mean we saw before for how long was he relying on the likes of um, Minamino's well not even go further back you got the Origi's the Shakiris. they were the players that would would come on in the event of Salah or Mane mm. or Firmino needing a rest. It's what would concern me if I was a City fan. Uh, seeing those players come on, seeing the Salah and Firmino's come on, and obviously Firmino coming on and scoring a goal. And he doesn't seem to be too disillusioned by the fact that 
he has kind of fallen out of favour a little bit. He see he's still getting his 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 playing time, and he's still he's still getting goals. He's still yeah, he's still he's still offering a contribution. We'll move on anyway, actually, to Klopp praising Trent Alexander Arnold's defensive ability. Mm. I think he said, if anyone comes to me talking about uh, Trent's defending, I'll knock them down myself or something like that. Obviously, in, in an attacking aspect, there's nothing, no way you can argue. He's overtaken Bruno now, I think, for the most chances created this season. I think Bruno was on 77, so Trent's above that now. Do you think Klopp is right to to outwardly praise Trent's um, defensive ability? No, he's, he's obviously right to to put his arm around his player and maybe when other people that in this, um, are having a go at Trent or criticising him, obviously you'd want always want your manager to come out and sort of help you and praise you and defend you. But um, yeah, I think he's, he's... I mean, obviously Trent, he's so young as well. I think people forget how young he is because of the level he operates at already and, what, 22 years old. And yeah, I mean, he's not—he's—he's he's not obviously not faultless by any means defensively. He's got a lot of issues there, and but they're they're issues that you can you can be taught into sort of get them out of your game and bring other mm. stuff into your game. Like he's got so much room for improvement. But I think yeah, it's it, it's nice of Klopp to come out there and and support him. But the way he said it and stuff, I think he's like football fans aren't idiots. I mean, we all know that defensively, there's a lot better out there than Trent. But obviously, yeah, he's young. He's uh, learning, and he he'll get better at it. So, yeah, I mean, surely now he he has to start for England, Trent. Like surely. Mm. Well, like he's you said, such a weapon. He's such a weapon, man. You can't not start him for England. Like we have to, we have to work out a way to get him in the squad. Like he's a necessity. I've seen uh, Neville talking about it, and it's so true. Like, why are more teams not man marking him? Why are more teams not playing a left winger to literally stick on Trent Alexander-Arnold? Mm. Because the amount of space he gets, this is why he plays fullback. Everyone talks about, oh yeah, he should play centre mid, but this is why he's so good. It's the amount of space he gets at right back, and he gets time to pick out his pass, and he can drift inside if he wants to, pick out crosses. He's just outrageous. I mean, Joel Matip as well, how good's he been? I mean, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna put my hands up now. I didn't really I I didn't know what the fuss was about with with Joel Matip. I thought it was very much Van Dijk's work, and he was kind of pulling Matip along with him. But I take it all back. Matip's yeah. brilliant. He's think been absolutely if, brilliant. I think if Liverpool had a Champions League final tomorrow, you'd definitely say that Matip would be partnering Van Dijk. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Obviously, Kanate's done well when he's come in, and he's obviously got a massive future. Um, I don't know what's happened with Joe Gomez I feel like he would probably yeah. be moved on in the summer you'd have thought it seems like yeah. he's lost his way a bit at Liverpool and it's amazing yeah. to think that really when obviously in- injuries have sort of hampered his, his uh, time at Liverpool over the last two or three years but that season they won the title I mean him and Van Dijk was just were unbelievable together weren't they and it, it seemed as if Liverpool there had their central their centre-back partnership for, for the next sort of five, ten years but yeah, no, I, and I thought he was going to be an England player for the next ten years. I thought he was going to be really good, um, Joe Gomez. He looks to have all the all the the tools to be a brilliant centre back. It it's a strange one. It is a strange one. Um, we can briefly touch on the Salah contract situation. To be fair, I don't think we've talked about it in depth for a while. We raised the point a few months ago, saying that 
it did look tricky. The negotiations, it's not straightforward. And there is definitely kind of a, um, a difference in opinion of what Salah's worth, or maybe not what Salah's worth, but in terms of how much Liverpool are prepared to pay him. Uh, there's been a co- the most recent contract I think was around the kind of the turn of the year. Uh, Liverpool offered and Salah declined. I think he's made it very clear to Liverpool what he wants. He's outlined what he wants. I don't think he's asking for a ridiculous amount, but I imagine he is looking around at the De Bruyne's and these other players that are in the similar kind of ilk of Salah and what they're earning and what Salah's offering to the team. Do you think Salah's well within his rights to be? holding out for for a bigger contract or do you think he should be kind of protecting his legacy? Uh, no, I think you've got to sort of stick by Salah in this one and say that the the performance he's brought to Liverpool, well, what he's brought to Liverpool as a whole, I mean, he's, along with obviously Jurgen Klopp as well, who's done an amazing job there, but the, he's one of them players that he's transformed their fortunes in the last three or four years. I mean, what, what he's done in the five years that he's been here, the amount of goals he's scored, and just what he brings to the team, the belief uh, he carries that Liverpool team in in moments when they're they're struggling, and he's mm. done that consistently now for three or four years. And I mean, just look at his numbers this season. I mean, when you're looking around for for him, he'll be looking around basically and seeing players at other clubs. I mean, not at least at clubs like Manchester United, the money that some of them players are on, and not even performing to half the level he's on. And he'll mm. be thinking if this is well, if this is the going rate now for people of my my ilk and my ability, then this is the money that I should be paid. And if they can't pay me, whether I want to leave or not, and I love Liverpool a lot, that's what I'd be saying. But I want to go somewhere where my value is reciprocated. And it's a short career football, you know. He's got a. Mm. This will be the last big contract of his career, so he's got to get every little last penny. I think when you obviously when you compare as well when you see numbers like Coutinho's 480 grand a week contract being banded around I mean I'd be surprised if Salah's earning half of that I think he's earning around the kind of 200 250,000 which is obviously a ridiculous amount of money but relatively speaking he's pretty modest for a player of his of his quality and what he has offered to Liverpool because also you have to look at it from a, a standpoint of what has Salah brought to Liverpool? What has Salah brought to the city of Liverpool? What has he brought to Liverpool, the football club? There's a lot of people profiting off what Salah's doing. You can argue all you like about how much footballers earn and whether it's right or wrong. And I'll sit down and have that argument and there are definitely discrepancies around pay and what certain people earn. But in this context, Salah's making a lot of money for a lot of people. So why shouldn't he he see some of that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The amount of, I mean, I'm sure he's been rewarded in bonuses and etc. But and I'm sure he gets a, a a huge kind of amount of money from from advertising and brand deals and stuff with the kind of because of the brand he is. Yeah. But I completely understand him him holding out for a, a move. I just hope he is careful because I do think it is in his best interest to stay at Liverpool if he can. Well, so just finally to just finally get your verdict. Do you think Salah can? Are we going to see him leave? Are we going to see him stay? I know it's 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 early, and I think there's a, a certain few things that can happen. I mean, in terms of a club where he could go to or where you could see him going to, you got any ideas? Um, um, do you think it's kind of out of the out of the picture? Like he can't leave. Is that? Um, well, no, he can leave. I mean, he definitely can leave if Liverpool don't want to agree to what he wants and don't want to break their wage structure, or whatever they've got going on there. 
then he will leave because he will be going into a final year of his contract and obviously they don't want to let him go on a free so they'll maybe have to look at getting some money from him in the summer. Um, I think it will get resolved like you said somehow. I think Liverpool have to do that. Um, I think there'd be, there'd be too much sort of uproar from the fans and everything like that. They have to. But in terms of if he was to leave, I mean, what sort of clubs can pay them wages? I mean, you'd have to look at pretty much just your PSGs and your Real Madrid's really. Maybe, but, but I say Barcelona. They say they've not got any money, but they keep making signings and they keep paying players yeah. these silly wages. So they don't know what's going on there. It's really strange, isn't it? You can't help but think something's going to have come out in a few years or it's going to yeah. come back to bite them again. You just wonder where on earth this money's coming from. How you can go from being in a point where it looked like it was a point of no return and we were wondering whether Barcelona would ever be the Barcelona they were again. Yeah, and now Like they're... you said, they're, they're linked to everyone. I suppose now we'll also talk about the Arsenal um, aspects of the game. I suppose the que- the big question is, well, what do Arsenal need to do to get to that next level? We've seen the improvements they've made this season. Uh, resilience, I think, is a huge thing. Kind of resilience in defence, but also resilience in their in their mentality, and to just c- continue to persevere, even if the they're not maybe finding an opening or it's taking a while to get a goal. You often saw Arsenal's heads; they'd go down and. They 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 kind of lose their their oomph and but that doesn't seem to be a thing now. They seem to have this thing in them now where they 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 keep pushing. They, like this, like I said, perseverance. But obviously, getting over that next hurdle, that big beating the big sides and putting themselves. I mean, they're in the conversation for Champions League, but they are a way off the the Chelsea's, the the Liverpool's, the Manchester City's. I suppose what the question is: What do they need to do to get to that next level? What do you think? Is it is it a matter of like a, a lack of experience, maybe? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I think that's what ev- everything that Arsenal's been built on this season is that youthfulness and the the potential they've got to to sort of progress. And obviously, they've made massive steps since the start of the season. I think if you after the first three games where they'd lost all of them, uh, lost to Brentford, I think they got hammered five 0 at Manchester City, and. and things look really bad and I think everyone probably would have expected Mikel Arteta to be the first manager to probably see the door in the Premier League this season. Obviously, it's took a completely different trajectory and he's he's actually done really well and he's got them playing in a really expansive and attractive style of football, uh, free-flowing. He's got the defence sorted out. Ben White and Gabriel look really good. Um, I think literally all it is, it's, with a case of, it's just a case of maybe getting one or two. I think... A, their big thing is a striker, someone that's going mm. to get you 25, 30 goals in all competitions a season. Um, and then maybe what, what another midfielder or maybe a little bit of competition for someone like Kean and Tierney. Um, just little, there's no glaring issues at Arsenal really, barring, no. barring that striker role. I mean, I think they'll be okay. And it is just the case of just letting Arteta progress as it goes. I mean, obviously, if they get Champions League football, it'd be a massive well I think shock for Arsenal fans from where they were at the start of the season but it's a bonus if anything because they had been going out this season hoping what well, Arteta would have been hoping to keep his job I think and Europa League at best was probably there in their thoughts just get yeah. back into Europe yeah well it was improvement wasn't it that's the most important thing with, with Arsenal and it's showing signs of improvement and they have yeah. definitely done that and they've gone above and beyond what we expected of them mm. 
just um in respect to the to the striker obviously they definitely need to bring in a striker and maybe just broader transfers as well but do you think now it's you continue with youth do you think they've they've committed to that like you you just grow a team and they say you can't what well, what's the saying you can't win anything with kids does Mikel Arteta go against that and does he just go with with the youth or does he now start to bring in a more tried and tested players the more experienced players what would yeah. your approach be to transfers now? It's, um, it's, it's a difficult one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I know. I think it, you've always got to have a mix of that. I mean, that famous quote about from was it Alan Hansen who said that? And I think mm. he was referring to a Man United team now where there was a lot of kids in there, but you also had a lot of players like Steve Bruce and a lot of senior players in there. But I think with Arsenal, yeah, again, it's just a case of having that core of youth players which have got all this ceiling for improvement and they're really exciting and they've, they're going to give you loads of sort of uh, memories coming and over the years. But it's also a case of just, yeah, bedding in one or two ready-made world-class senior players to sort of guide them as well and learn off them. And that's, that's really important for young players because, like you mentioned, with these games against the teams like Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester City, and even the mentality thing when they play teams like Manchester United who... Their Arsenal are arguably well, they are better than Man United this season, but it's still a mentality thing. When when they play them, they don't seem to pick up results, and it's just a case no. for these young kids like Saka and Emil Smith Rowe of, you know, it's going to come eventually. Like they're just not got quite that got that belief in big games yet, where they can no. sort of go on and really go all out at a big team because it's that authority, isn't it? Yeah, it's that yeah. authority on the ball and and in attack and. Mm. And taking the game to these big teams, it will come with time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you look at that team, though, in terms of senior players and experienced members, I mean, it kind of stops at Xhaka, Lacazette. You'd probably probably argue Partey, but he's still kind of mm. he's not. I don't. Yeah. He's not young, but he's in like the prime years of his career, isn't he? Yeah, Gabriel um, maybe. But Gabriel, but he's a young player. He's as only well, twenty-four, isn't he? I think. Yeah. Mm. Like. Would that work? Like, say, if, say if you brought like a. This is completely hearsay, but say if you brought like a a Lewandowski in. I mean, no, maybe Lewandowski is a bad bad example because he'd work in any team. But if you started bringing in more experienced players, do you think that would kind of disturb like the the equilibrium of the team? Do you reckon it would? It would. I don't know. I I I don't know. I, nah. I don't know. Do you reckon it it could, or do you reckon it can only be a good thing? No, I think it's essential to to make steps in, in whatever you're doing in whatever project because you've got to have like I keep referring to you've got to have that blend of sort of youthfulness and an experience and know-how and if Arsenal want to start competing in these if they say they make the Champions League if they want to start competing seriously in competitions like the Champions League and taking that next step of trying to close the gap on them your Man City's your Liverpool's then you can't you can't do that with just a team full of kids because it's mm. as as much as much ability there is in that Arsenal team. There's a lot of inexperience, and yeah, you need you need people to come in and guide them. If there was a transfer that I'd like to see this season, and I, I mean from from for you as a fan of a club in the big six, I'm sure you you couldn't think of anything worse. But if there was a transfer that would just be like a, a surprise transfer to happen this season in the summer. It would be Lewandowski to Arsenal for me. Mm. I just think that would be incredible. Imagine, imagine. It, well, you think about it. Arsenal always seems to have like this big kind of marquee player playing for them, uh, and and they need a striker. 
Lewandowski's unsettled at Bayern. I mean, it seems very much kind of like paper talk at the minute and him trying to get a, as best a contract as he can get out of Bayern Munich. And yeah. I obviously can't see him leaving there. But imagine that. Imagine if he ends up leaving and Arsenal bring him in. And imagine how good Arsenal would be then. They've got everything then. They'd have a complete lineup, and I'm sure they'd bring in other players as well because I don't think he'd cost them that much. I think he's got a year left in his contract after this year. It seems a bit strange. I mean, yeah, we can get your thoughts on that Lewandowski uh, situation. Do you think it is just him trying to push yeah. for a new deal? Yeah, I think I think there's no so. chance he could leave. No, I mean, as a Man United fan, I've been scarred too many times in the past by buying Munich players. Goretzka last summer, the Kimmich has done it, Thomas Muller, where you think they're gonna they they want to come? They're really interesting signing for United, but in reality, they go and sign a new bumper four year contract worth fifteen million pound a season at Bayern. And I think that, like why do you why would you want to leave Bayern Munich? <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. It seems like they've all got a kind of a mutual agreement never to leave. It's yeah. almost like Man City now. You only leave when you either retire or get told you're leaving. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well, is there anything more we need to cover about Arsenal? I mean, I've got written down here, does Emil Smith-Rowe deserve to come back into the side? He's obviously fallen out of favour a little bit. Well, I wouldn't even say fallen out of favour, but because Martinelli's done so well, he plays ahead of him. Obviously, Odegaard now plays ahead of him as well. Do you think he deserves to come back inside? He's Arsenal's top goalscorer this season with 10 goals. They could obviously have done with a goal against Liverpool. Oh, I think slowly sort of blending back in more, but... Like you say, if someone's playing well like Martinelli and he's in great form, I think even on Wednesday, despite the loss, he was probably Arsenal's best player. And uh, obviously, he scored goals recently. You, you can't really drop a player that's playing well. And How I do think... you go about that, though? I think it's always tricky, isn't it, when you see a player that it's a team that that's just playing well. And there's not really, it's not like a player's play, like Emil Smith-Rowe's done anything bad but he just can't get back into that team. I mean, as a manager, how do you go around that? Do you start playing certain players in the cup games and playing certain games in the league? I mean, it's an interesting one. And I'd yeah. be interested to know what what Arteta's plan is. But I suppose you just hope that... Well, I mean, it's a nice position to be in, isn't it? And it's a yeah. position that every manager wants to be in. And you don't want... You'd, be, you'd prefer to have that than two players fine for a position that aren't at the, at the level. Yeah. But, Smith Rowe is a player for the future, but then again, so is Martinelli. I mean, it's really good. It's it's difficult, and it's hard to offer a, a solution really because they don't yeah. all fit in. And but you, how long Smith Rowe gonna want to sit on the bench? Could you see Smith Rowe as potentially sort of filling that void up front as a playing as a false nine or something? Well, this is what I was wondering because I mean he's, Lacazette. I love Lacazette. I think he's a brilliant player. I think he's, he seems like a brilliant guy. He's, he's kind of stepped up to that absent kind of leader that's not there at Arsenal at the minute. And I don't think anyone saw him as a leader. But he isn't a goal scorer, is he? He just isn't. He, he almost seems to be trying not to score. But maybe Smith Rowe could play in that false nine. But does he lead the line? I'm not so sure because Lacazette does do that. He does give you someone up there. And he works so hard, like I said. And he's, yeah. so, he, he's so good at linking up the play. We'll, we'll stick with Arsenal, actually. Because obviously Mikel Arteta has been very vocal this week, criticising the Premier League and their fixture planning. I've got a stat here. Arsenal have played 11 games in 2022, which is an average of a game every 6.8 days. Is that reason to be complaining, do you think? 
it's ridiculous from Arteta. Really, it's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, it's this is a, a team we've got a like you say one. You're talking about one of the most the youngest starting 11s in the Premier League, so should be the freshest, got the most minutes in them, and they've not even had any European football. I mean, I know. what what is he complaining about? And they've they've come up they've come up against a, a an unbelievable outfit like Liverpool, lost a game, and now he starts complaining about fixture pile up. I mean, it's, what was all that about? But there's so many contradictions, isn't there, with all these managers kind of airing their grievances with the Premier League and certain things because it comes down to the substitutions as well. I mean, Klopp spends his whole time complaining about the amount of substitutions there are and how he wants them to reintroduce the five substitutions rule, but the guy. After saying that, the two games prior, he didn't make substitutions till like the 90th minute, and they were, he made like two subs. So it makes no sense. This is where you wonder maybe whether it's a, a mind games thing. I mean, Sir Alex used to do it back in the day, didn't he? Yeah. Kind of call referees out and call people out in the media. I don't know what it is. Is it distracting? Is it kind of taking the. the no, um, I think Arteta is just planting the seeds ready for when Arsenal bottled that fourth spot. Do you reckon? Yeah. All right, all right. We'll move Called on now because we have actually, we've spoke about in depth um, about a few things and another thing that we do need to talk about is the Chelsea situation. Right, I mean, I've got a load of information here and I'm going to bombard you with it. Uh, let me know if it's getting too much. But so obviously at the minute, the, the point we're at is Friday. The deadline was today for bids to come in for Chelsea. I mean, in a footballing aspect, they're not they're not seeming to allow the drama off the field to spill onto the pitch. They got the job done away in Lille this week. Tuchel seems to be handling his side really well. He's handling himself well in 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 press conferences. But we're going to stick to the owners. So the offer deadline was today. So these are the, the few of the the interested parties. I mean, it's American Merchant Bank Rain Group are overseeing the bid process on behalf of Roman Abramovich. See, I was kind of confused around where the money would go once this... I mean, the, the some of the figures that are getting banded around. Three billion was what he wanted at first. I've seen 2.7 billion. Um, I think it's going to be around that, maybe a bit less because I'll come to it, but there's some issues around the stadium. It looks like what will happen is the, the money that's that's paid for Chelsea will probably just go into a frozen account somewhere. And then once his assets are unfrozen then he'll get access to them. That's my understanding. I'm not an expert on things like this, so do your own research. So some of the some of the, the names, I mean, there's a lot of interest. Lord Coe, do you know Sebastian Coe? Yeah. The president of the World Athletics. He's reportedly, according to the Times, joined forces with a consortium hoping to buy Chelsea. Um, Sir, Martin, Sir Martin Broughton, the former chairman of British Airways, claims to be fronting a bid to buy the club and plans to give Lord Coe a seat on the board. The Chicago Cubs, uh, which is, I think, a baseball, a major league baseball team. Uh, he's the owner, of the, the Tom Ricketts, the owner of the Chicago Cubs. He's joined forces with a guy called Ken Griffin, who's the, the chief exec of a, a hedge fund. Uh, they were supposedly um, going to place a bid. There seems to be a lot of American interest. Uh, Ruddy Robert Wood, Ruddy Robert Woody <laughs> Johnson, the owner of New York Jets NFL team, is said to be preparing a bid. As is Josh Harris, co-founder of U.S. private equity Apollo Global Management. 
Um, they're saying that it's claimed to be interest from Turkey and Pakistan. I mean, there's a there's a range of things though that that come into into play here. And obviously, the big question is is whether Chelsea are going to have this free spending or be able to enjoy this kind of free spending that they did under Abramovich. So where this comes into play and where it, what's going to affect this is basically the kind of owner that comes in. So apparently, if it's if it's someone like one of the one the guys I was just discussing there, the owners of the other teams, etc., someone that's like a businessman per se, they're they're not going to be able to offer Chelsea what Abramovich did. Apparently, basically, if Chelsea want to have that kind of freedom in the transfer window, they're going to have to get a, a kind of a state backed or a government-backed, maybe a consortium, something similar to Newcastle, which is obviously backed by, it's a consortium backed by the Saudi state, so the Saudi government, essentially. But this is where another issue comes in. So basically, Saudi media, which is the biggest media group in Saudi Arabia, reportedly, this is according to the Mirror, reportedly tabled a 2.7 billion offer, but it was unclear whether the consortium had links with the Saudi state, which then would be classed as a conflict of interests. And the owners and uh, owners and directors test that has also come under scrutiny, the Premier League's test, basically vetting owners, that would flag up. So they couldn't have that. So if someone else comes in with us from the Saudi state or links to the Saudi state, they can't take over Chelsea. So the way it's looking is that Chelsea aren't going to have the, the free spending that they did have. They're not going to be the, the force they were in the Champions League, uh, in the Champions League, in the transfer window. Another aspect, owners may also be restricted by financial fair play. When Abramovich joined, the rules were less stringent. Another issue as well uh, is, I mean, there's so many layers to this, but Stamford Bridge is also a problem. 40,000 capacity. It's relatively small in comparison to a club of their side, their size, sorry, and it's in need of renovation. And apparently, a stadium or overhaul is estimated to cost over one billion pounds. It's going to start at one billion pounds. Mm. This is according to the Independent. And also, I think you told me this, but Abramovich doesn't own the pitch. No. Pitch and name rights are owned by a non-profit called Chelsea Pitch Owners. So yeah. that's another issue for the owners coming in. And it's a huge setback because it is, if you're going to have to invest £1 billion in the in the stadium, then you, you want that stadium to be, be yours. <laughs> yeah, and you're not going to be able to put that money into transfers, are you? So basically, the, the point of all of this is regardless of who comes into Chelsea, and they might get a rich owner, they're not going to be on the level of Abramovich or one of these Saudi owners. Chelsea basically are really, really in uncharted territory here and we don't know where they're going to go from here. I suppose the question I've got for you is this is all talking as if Chelsea need an overhaul. Do Chelsea need an overhaul? Do they need this Saudi money? Do they need state money coming in? Or are they all right? Do you think... What you, what, well, how do you assess Chelsea, I suppose, going into next season and what do they need to do in the in the transfer window? And yeah, do they need huge financial backing? I don't know. I feel like that. What um, obviously one thing they've done over the recent years, obviously all courtesy of Roman Abramovich's money, whatever you think of that or what, um, is obviously they've put that academy there that's obviously flourished. It's probably the now the best academy in England, and mm. they've obviously got a lot of good young players coming through. 
so I think if there was going to be a a situation where say they they were frozen from buying players or loaning players in and they had to work with what they got I think for the immediate future yeah they might not be as competitive as they'd like to be in terms of challenging for Premier League titles or winning Champions Leagues but I think it would definitely I think it'd almost be quite a refreshing thing for Chelsea I mean maybe to have a two or three years until they sort of get some money back behind them and understand what sort of their what, what their future holds um, to sort of focus on so you've got in the summer people like Conor Gallagher coming back um, yeah. there's, I mean there's there's a vast amount of players Bro, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think in terms of carrying on as they are, I think that they'll be okay for some time. But obviously, if it gets to a case where they have to start selling their players, I think it's understandable that Mason Mount's out of contract in 2023. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a couple more players as well that have got a year left on their contract. So they'll have a decision to make this summer. Like, What do they do with these players? Do they cash in on them now or risk losing them for free uh, next summer? So... I think no one really knows Dudin. I think even Chelsea players and the staff have, will have no idea what's going to happen to them. I think they're just focusing immediately on the on the on their what they've got to do now, and I think they're doing that really well. I think yeah. Tuchel's a prime example of that. The way he's handled himself throughout this whole situation has been sort of remarkable, and he's been re- he's he's represented the club really well in a time where their name's been put through the mud really and tarnished quite heavily. I suppose the question is as well is that he's Chelsea have Chelsea got the pedigree to still attract players without the money and I mean that's a question for broader football I mean is that a, is that a thing now can clubs attract players just because of the name they are and I think it's where it becomes difficult with Chelsea because I mean for me my kind of football memory Chelsea have always been a big side but obviously before and I'm not saying what you count as big, I'm not saying money equals big, but in terms of being a competitive team and a team near the top end of the table, challenging for Euro, uh, for Champions Leagues, Premier Leagues, that's all I can kind of remember Chelsea as. Because obviously I think Abramovich came in in, what was it, 2003, was it? And, yeah. well, obviously, yeah, we would have been four years old. So that's why that's all I can remember. But do you think Chelsea do still have the, or do have the pedigree to continue to attract players? And I suppose that's where kind of um, Chelsea, you can, when you lose the money, when you lose that yeah. that thing, it kind of completely changes who you are as a club. And let's not get it twisted. The reason Chelsea have attracted these players has obviously been a level of the amount of success they've had and the success they have as a as a as an entity, as a as a team. But a lot of it is money as well. Let's not get it twisted. Like these, and that's I suppose that's maybe a. Uh, kind of symbolic of football as a whole nowadays money money talks and but yeah I mean there's a question in there somewhere but do you think Chelsea might struggle to to attract these these big names coming in, uh, in the future um, yeah I mean because I think I think a big a big word that's sort of branded around football nowadays is like projects and I think players often look for this sort of whether you want to call it projects or not I feel like it's a bit fancy word nowadays and too many people use it. Too many teams use it. But um, yeah, I think if they look at, at their what their chances are going forward, and what the chances of the club are doing in the market, and how they can support them, and I mean, it's it's really difficult. You know, it's selfish sport as well. And for these footballers, they they want to know that they're assured and they've got their assurances over a certain amount of time. 
So if they're joining, but in the immediate future, say they're joining this summer and they've got a still a really good team around them, but if they can't be given assurances that in three years this will be the same team and they'll be challenging for these trophies still, then it's definitely exactly. going to make players second think about what they want to do and if they do want to sign for them. And especially when, even when it comes to stuff like contracts, I mean, Chelsea will be paying big money to players. And yeah. if they can't promise these big players this money anymore, then players are definitely going to be getting that money from elsewhere. Yeah, it's so true. The the uncertainty is uncertainty is a huge thing, isn't it? And that is what Chelsea are at the minute. They're an uncertain kind of entity. No one really knows what the future holds. And are you going to want to go and join that? Are you going to want to sign a contract for that? You're not, are you? I mean, no. we'll move on. But I just wanted to. There's some. It's quite interesting, really. Um, yeah. I, I was reading somewhere about the academy, and I know you were talking about the academy. There's controversy around that as well. I mean, I don't know if it's towards kind of a. Uh, like I don't think any, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure if any laws have been broken or if any kind of um, charges are being pressed or it's, if it's anyone's actually investigating it. But I saw reports, and this was via the Tactical Times on Twitter. I mean, I don't know their kind of. I know I'm not sure where their source was was from. Um, but this Tactical Times is pretty spot on. With, he talks about tactics and stuff, but he does also talk about the. I say he could be a she. They talk about all all kind of elements of the game. I I'd, I'd recommend people to give them a follow on Twitter. They're really good. And anyway, he was talking about Chelsea about how there's just these these stories that have come out about Chelsea. And there's this goalkeeper they signed, and I'm not sure about his name. Um, can't quite remember his name. But they signed him when he was 12 years old from somewhere in Europe, and they basically moved his whole family over. Um, from from wherever he was from, and. They moved him over and they relocated his family and they gave, I think, them given him a house or whatever. And I think, uh, some in some aspect, that's that is illegal. Apparently, um, you can't do that. Um, I'm not sure. I think there's a certain amount of money or something that you you can't pay for a, a player like below a certain age. Anyway, there's basically this stuff I've seen that basically his dad was put on the payroll at Chelsea, was earning. Now, I don't want to get the stories mixed up here, but there was another story as well to do with Andreas Christensen. I'm not going to talk about figures, but he was basically paid a, a considerable amount of money each month. And people weren't really sure what his role was at the club. And they asked, apparently whoever was reporting this story asked, and he refused to comment on what his role was at the club. But he'd played, so he was 12 years old at the time, and he's now 20 years old, and he's still at Chelsea. And his dad's been getting paid every year since he signed. And no one really knows why. And also, there's Andreas Christensen. So he signed for Chelsea when he was 18. Now, his dad was then signed as a as a scout for Chelsea and paid a considerable amount of money each month. And no one, he had no experience as a, as a scout. And no one had any knowledge of him doing any scouting for Chelsea. He now works as a goalkeeper coach at Bromby. He's still on the payroll at Chelsea. So there seems to be, I don't know exactly what this means. I'm just stating what I've seen in this article and what I've seen from this Tactical Times. But it seems very dodgy what's going on at Chelsea. Now, they've they've made over £210 million since 2015 from selling academy players. It, it, it doesn't really, I don't know. I, I'm not going to, maybe it's just a, kind of a look of having that kind of funds and they've got lucky with the players they've been able to sell on but the way the academy works at Chelsea 
it seems strange like it seems there doesn't seem to be a like a a, a a concrete link between the academy and the first team and the kind of ethos and the 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 commitment and their ambition with the academy doesn't seem always to be to get players into the first team does it it doesn't no. always seem to be getting that that route into the first team and i think it's interesting there's something to keep an eye on i mean there's so much going on at chelsea at the minute but yeah it's interesting anyway we've all right we'll, we'll let me, okay we, we've run over a bit and we speak about united a lot let me just get you you quick thoughts about United. I mean, the kind of questions that I want to ask, where do you go now? Who's at fault? What needs to be done in the summer? Is Ronaldo on the way out? Just give us a bit of a digest everything that, that happened in the midweek. Well, in terms of the game, uh, obviously really disappointing to go out. Obviously, oh, I was quite, especially after Saturday, I thought obviously the performance wasn't that convincing against Tottenham, but Obviously, the moments that we had in the game, and uh, I was quite confident going into the Atletico game. And I think after the first thirty minutes or so, I've, I was really impressed. Actually, I thought the intensity that we played at and started with was really was really good. But I thought I, I, would, I did always worry when we didn't get that goal in that period when we were on top because I thought no, Atletico. It's the longer this game goes on for them at nil nil or so to speak it, it suits in their hands and then it just as soon as, soon as their goal went in just, United players just gave up I think it seemed like it, they've just really have when when push comes to shove and something goes against them they really are quite spineless and gutless this, this, this group of players and it's always something we'd we'd associated with teams like Arsenal and Tottenham and they, they these are teams that got a lot of stick for this this type of, type of characteristic in the past but it's something that United have inherited and it's it's really, really holding them back. And no, I mean, in terms of the game, second half, we were we were poor. Uh, I don't think the referee helped our cause at all. He I was well he, out of his depth, wasn't he? I thought he was shocking. And I thought, yeah, you know what you're going to get when you play against Atletico. The, they'll take anything they can get. The what time wasting, the, 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 the diving, the... You know, just everything about them, and whether you, whether you like it or not, they're experienced and they know how to win games of football like that. But I just feel like the referee played into their hands just as as they wanted. I saw a stat actually um, for the remaining thirty minutes of the game on Tuesday night, the ball was in play for eleven minutes. I mean, that is that's ridiculous. Shocking. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't even. I don't think it was like. Uh, I don't think it was exactly like biased towards Atletico. But I definitely agree that it worked into Atletico's hands, and I just thought it was both going both ways. There were there were there were decisions against you and for you that were that were just wrong. Like he just kept pu- pulling up fouls, didn't he? They just yeah. weren't fouls. I think there was and one in the second half. play as well. One in the second half, which really just finished it for me, was I think the. We were on the counter attack, and Lorente was down in his own box, holding yeah. his ankle, and we, we I think we were three on two, and he blew up. It was, it, was unbelie- it was unbelievable and uh, I mean obviously you can't blame the referee we, in United fans and me included we can go around every game we play and blame us blame us but at the end of the day there's a there's a consistent factor and it's us and we need to obviously where do we go from here just we've got a hope that we finish fourth spot I mean unlikely as it may be Arsenal lost again well lost on Wednesday it's down to two games we've still got to play them 
but there's definitely a chance for us to still finish in the top four. Um, but you know what? I wouldn't even be that fussed if we don't finish top four. I think maybe really? for I think maybe for a rebuild, a uh, new manager coming in the summer, it might be better, and I think it might actually clear out some of the 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 sort of passengers we've got at the club. If we finish in the top four and half these players turn around and say, you know what, I don't want to play in the Europa League, and I think it'd be a blessing in disguise. Get them out and get some young players, get some players in that are hungry and want to play. And mm. you know, obviously, ideally, you want to be playing in the Champions League. And but if we miss out, it's got to this point where I don't really care anymore. I think there's a, there's an element of truth to what you're saying, and I think in terms of the Champions League, it's, it seems that you're just not ready for it. Yeah, and the pressure that comes with it, and the expectation when you're a side like Manchester United, whether you are at the level that of the United sides that you have been, when you see Manchester United in a Champions League game, there's a there's a level of expectation. And it's mm. like with Real Madrid, if if Real Madrid aren't at the level, they might do not so so good in the league. You still expect them to perform in the Champions League. You still expect them to put on a show and. It's disappointing because Atletico were beatable. I didn't agree with what people were saying as in they were awful. I don't think they were awful and I think they implemented their, their plan pretty well. But in terms of quality and, uh, I say, beatability, if that's a if that's a word, they were beatable like Madrid. And yeah. They were far from... United could have got a far, harder, um, far tougher draw. And... It was just disappointing, wasn't it? He didn't yeah. even put on... Like, you didn't even... It's hard to put it... Because it's easy to say, oh, they didn't want it, United players. But it seems over overly simple to say it, but maybe that is it. They just didn't want it. Because, but it seems incredible to say, doesn't it? Because you're in a Champions League, you're playing for Manchester United, you're at Old Trafford. Yeah. Who could not want that? What what more motivation do you need? And that's where it becomes really worrying, really concerning. And something's just kind of it's something like ingrained in that United team and it's mm. it's really hard to see a, a way forward and what where 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 you do go now yeah yeah we'll just finish the episode on the latest on Erling Haaland because I know a lot of people listening will want to know what the latest is on him I think the latest we've seen is that he's basically making his decision and apparently that decision making process is not going to involve going to meet any of the clubs it's going to be literally him making a decision himself. Money apparently doesn't really come into it because it's £63 million is the release clause. And I think it's €80 million Euros that, um, the release clause. So that is what's going to be paid, which makes it all the more interesting because it puts a lot of clubs in the running here. I mean, obviously, the teams we're seeing that are the most likely are Manchester City, Real Madrid and Barcelona. But surely United... Bayern Munich, if you see in Haaland's available for sixty-three million pounds, surely you're just paying that and then seeing if you can get anywhere with the negotiations. Yeah, do you not think? I mean, yeah, I think he he we he came to our training ground in the January that he moved to Dortmund. Uh, he had the offer on the table there, and from Solskjaer, and I think he, he obviously chose to Dort- go Dortmund instead because he thought. He foresaw better playing time, and I mean to think back. I mean, how bad were United went in that January window? To think mm. that Erling Haaland was considered was worried about his playing time. I, I find mean, that it, hard to believe. He'd absolutely walk into our team, but um, no. I mean, it's it's yeah, like you say, he's at a level where he can literally pick and choose who he wants to go to. And I've also saw that he he only wants a three year contract. 
yeah, I think that seems to be a theme of 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 or a pattern of of footballers nowadays. They don't want to get themselves tied into these huge deals, do they? I think whoever his next club are are going to be another stepping stone to something. Mm. So I could. Well, uh, he's on. obviously got his career mapped out, hasn't he? And, yeah. And he, he he I imagine in his head he now wants to go maybe to the whatever league. He's, I reckon he's just going to tick off leagues. I think he's going to want to go somewhere, win that league maybe win a Champions League and just the world is his oyster and the fact that he's developed so quickly at such a young age he's got a huge career ahead of him apparently the wages are going to be in excess of 500 grand a week and that's according to the Times that would make him the highest paid player in the Premier League what are your thoughts on that and do you think that could kind of become kind of counterproductive and have a negative impact on that Manchester City dressing room if you're Kevin De Bruyne sat there, if you're, um, if you're a, yeah, who else, who's another senior player at Man City, if you're a Ruben Diaz, those kind of players, yeah, are you going to be a bit miffed as to why this 21-year-old strike has come in and he's earning more than everyone else? Yeah, I mean, football. It's a, there's there's a lot of a lot of egos in football with a lot of self-centeredness, and um, yeah, I mean, if someone comes in and is on that sort of money at a much younger age than you, a lot less of a senior figure then it's definitely going to cause a bit of unrest wherever you go. But I think that might, well, like you say, with if Harlan's not too fussed about the money, then maybe he will take a, a lower wage elsewhere to, to, to make that move. But I don't know. I, I literally, no one knows, and especially with his agent as well, Mino Raiola. I mean, you, you don't, you never know what's going on in his head or when you've what got him in, has. in your ear I mean you just know that I mean if you say fine fine like money's not going to come into play but when you've got an agent like Mino Raiola it's a huge huge factor isn't it yeah. he's going to be ensuring that he's earning the the right kind of percentage or commission on the deal and it's kind of sickening really it's yeah. just a bit of a shame like yeah if I'm Erling Haaland, and I know you're not, you're never gonna. T- this, that's the whole argument, isn't it, with these wages these footballers earn? It's like, oh, if you're offered that money, are you gonna turn it down? And I understand that. And Haaland's obviously gonna try and get the best money he can and the best deal he can. But it just feels weird to me. You got, you're at the start of your career. You should just be, just go to a Man City or someone like you still earn like really high, like really high wages, but. Do you need to be the Premier League's highest paid player? No. His he, his career trajectory trajectories now are just insane, ain't they? I've seen yeah. as well. He's going to have a release clause, I think, as well. And this is where you see he's obviously intelligent. Yeah. And and he knows. Well, he's got people around him that are going to make it what's best for him. And but the thing is, as well, his plan is right. I'm going to go now to Manchester City. There'll be a release clause in place. I'll play for three years. And then when that three years comes to an end, I'll be able to leave on a free and I'll reap the rewards financially again. And yeah. it's just a cycle. And I think that's the issue now is the, the, the player power there is. It's, it's kind of, I mean, what I, I suppose you'd ask kind of what loyalties does, does Haaland have to these clubs and they're going to kind of milk him for everything he's got. But there's no kind of thought for the club anymore, is there? No, yeah, and like these fans as well. Of, like, you, mm. As a fan, you don't want to get emotionally attached to anyone, especially no, the, the new player yeah. like Harland. He's, it's he's, the money as well, though, isn't it? Yeah. Because if you're a player that, if you're just leaving on a free, 
the club gets nothing. And if, if you're trying to get on these three-year deals or whatever, and I know we don't need to feel sorry for the Man Cities of this world, <laughs> but it's happening, it's it's rife. Maybe not specifically to Haaland, it's relevant, but there's it's happening everywhere. These players are, 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 are kind of holding out, letting their deals go down, so then they can leave for free. They get all the money, basically. They really reap the rewards for a lack of transfer fee. For, so finally, yeah, are, are, what, where's Haaland going to go? Where, if you could bet right now, uh, Real Madrid. Real Madrid. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going off all the reports, I'd say Man City, but I still can't picture him in a Man City shirt and a Pep Guardiola player. I just can't imagine it. But I, for one, maybe, hope he's going Manchester City. <laughs> is that the only reason why you say Real Madrid? No, no. I think Real Madrid have just got that. They've got that pull, haven't they? They've got the power still, yeah. and obviously, you talk about his release clause and Kylian Mbappe on a free transfer. You, you're looking at getting Mbappe and Haaland for 64 million. It'd be a yeah. crazy business, that would, wouldn't it? <laughs> crazy, crazy. And we did say earlier in the year that we wanted to see the, the likes of Real Madrid back where they belong, but that's just scary. Well, could you imagine a, a front three of Haaland, Mbappe and Vinicius? Wow. Or Benzema. Or Benzema. Yeah, yeah. 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 The disrespect, mate. We'll take him at United. <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, I think we're going to finish the episode there. Uh, if Unless you've got anything, any other pressing matters that you wanted to cover, Westy? Not particularly, no. No? <laughs> right, okay, thank you for joining us, guys. It was an enjoyable episode. A lot to talk about. I'm sure there'll be an, a lot to talk about next week. We might see you next week. We might not. We'll let you know um, in advance. Like I said on previous episodes, if you want to interact with us, if you want to see daily articles uh, match reports updates transfer updates things like that if you want to see firsthand where Harlan ends up before we talk about it on the podcast follow us at divided opinion on instagram obviously follow the podcast if you've enjoyed it uh, you can review the podcast um, on whatever provider that you use uh, that'd be greatly appreciated if you have a friend that, that might also enjoy what we're talking about and want to listen to the episode feel free to share it um anything else you want to add westy no 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 actually echo everything you say mate you nice cover one. cover all cylinders <laughs> thank you for joining me west anyway Cheers, really mate. enjoyable yeah, good chat all right nice one yeah thanks for listening guys and we'll speak to you soon mm-hmm.